To worship God is to love God and adore God and all that God has made, including our neighbors and even, Jesus says, our enemies. And to worship God then is to love our neighbor. And to love our neighbor well is to glorify God in whose image our neighbors are made. Last Sunday we began um, by suggesting that the book of Hebrews is like any other in the New Testament. It's not really a letter per se. It's kind of an extended exhortation, a a sermon, a reflection on the Christian life. Um, And this particular sermon is one in which the writer addresses a challenge, a problem in their congregation. And that problem is the people to whom the sermon is addressed are tired. Things are not going well. The attendance at church is down. Remember it says that their, their, um, knees droop, their, their hands droop and their knees are weak. They're losing confidence. And the threat is that they're going to just walk away from faith. They're going to just leave church behind them. And so to address the spiritual weariness of their congregation, the preacher points to Jesus and invites his weary listeners to observe the way that Jesus lived, the way that Jesus served and loved, as, as the way that they are called to persevere in running the race of faith. They are reminded that, that Jesus both began and completed their, their race, their faith, and that it is Jesus' example, Jesus' faithfulness, that makes it possible for them, and of course for us, to keep running, to keep moving forward, to keep being faithful. Hebrews says, for us, Christ is more than enough. And so with that in mind, we come to this morning's reading from the final chapters of this amazing little sermon. And it is an interesting and somewhat perplexing text. It's divided into two parts. The first offers us a contrast between the Old and the New Covenant. Uh, be clear that the, old, the New Covenant does not supersede the Old Covenant. Christ's covenant with Israel, um, God's covenant with Israel is fully intact. God keeps God's promises. Paul assures us of that. So contrasts or compares or reflects on the two covenants, the old covenant made at Sinai, the new covenant, Mount Zion, and the holy city of Jerusalem. Intact both, but yet different. And then the second part says, because of all that you've learned, remain faithful. Another word of encouragement uh, for the church to press on, to not lose heart. As we try to make sense of this portion of Hebrews, I want to read just uh, bits of it from Eugene Peterson's translation to maybe hear it in a different way to help us, to help us lean into what the writer is trying to say. So Peterson puts it this way. Unlike your ancestors, you did not come to Mount Sinai where Moses received the law. All that fire and earth-shaking rumble. You didn't come to Mount Sinai Sinai to hear God speak, the earth-splitting words and the soul-shaking message. It terrified them, and they begged God not to speak. When they did hear the words... If an animal touches the mountain, it's as good as dead. They were afraid to move. Moses himself was terrified. But no, that's not your experience, church. 
You've come to Mount Zion, the city where the living God resides, the invisible Jerusalem. You've come to Jesus, the Christ, who presents us with a new covenant, a proclamation of forgiveness and grace. God's voice, spoken from Sinai, shook the earth to its foundations. This time, God's voice, spoken in Christ Jesus, will shake both heaven and earth. Which means a thorough house-cleaning has come. Getting rid of all the historical and religious clutter so that the unshakable essentials remain. And in light of this new thing that God has done in Christ... We should be brimming with worship. Throughout the, the book of Hebrews, the church is encouraged to not neglect the gift of their salvation, to not harden their hearts, to, to not fall away or, or shrink back from being faithful, but to press on, to love and to serve because of Christ. And now the, the writer reminds them and us of where we stand in light of this new covenant, where our lives are now located, not in the place of the old covenant at Sinai, where Moses received the law, but Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. We've come, the writer says, to the very heart of God. And we can press on in being faithful because in Christ God has come near. We've arrived, Hebrews says, at a new home where Jesus the Christ mediates a different covenant, written not in stone as Moses received the law, but written on our hearts. And that new covenant makes possible a new life with God, a new fellowship with others, and a new way of being human together. Not, not based in rule and regulation, but grounded in love. Christ has brought us to the place of a renewed humanity. Not framed by law and order or religion in the sense of a clearly defined list of things that we can and can't do or that, that, that help us discern who's in and who's out. But rather, we stand in the place of a renewed humanity made possible by God's love. And what is more, Hebrews says, just as God's voice once shook the foundations of the earth at Sinai, so now in this place of new accessibility to God, in Christ where God has drawn near, God's merciful voice shakes away all our sin, our waywardness, our brokenness, until all that remains is God's love. What Hebrews hopes we'll see is that this kind of new shaking is, it is a crisis. It, it is a re in, reorientation kind of moment. It is a turning point that, that turns our lives away from all that has been to all that, that in God and in Christ will be. It is a reordering of the very world in which we live. What remains in this new order 
is the new and living way that Christ opens for all humanity to draw near to God. And and in that new order, God's presence and God's love for us is like a fire. And it will burn away. It won't consume us the way the people were afraid at Mount Sinai the fire might do. But it will burn away all that gets in the way of us living the fullness of life that God intends. And so with that in mind, Hebrews says, Take heart, be strengthened, press on, and worship. Live life in a way that it glorifies God. Christ is enough. God's love for you is enough. God's love has drawn near in Christ. Nothing can separate us from that love. And the knowledge of that truth should move us to worship. What's interesting is, to me, that that worship that flows from an awareness of God's extravagant love, that worship has a particular shape. If we look to Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, as the model of our life together, what I hope that we can see, even if we've grown weary, even at times we say, I'm I'm done, I'm just going to walk away, what I hope that we can see is what Jim tried to help us see a few weeks ago, is that faithful worship, born of an awareness that God's love for us is lasting, eternal, and enough for us, An awareness of God's love doesn't foster fear that isolates us from God and one another, but rather it fosters a love for the other. It doesn't make us more inclined to want to control others, rather it makes us more inclined to love them. Worship that flows from the awareness that God has drawn near to us in Christ And that Christ's love for us is enough, is expressed in joyful participation in Christian community and in our generous service to others, as Pastor Jim said a few weeks ago. Because, again, to love God is to worship, and to worship is to love our neighbor. We see this in the life of Jesus. We're going to get to that in just a moment. It has implications for what we do here in this place week in and week out when we gather for what we're doing this morning for worship. This is our dress rehearsal for the rest of life. This is the place we learn the muscle memory for how to love God and adore God and love our neighbors well. Until all of life becomes a doxology, a song of praise. Not just for an hour or so on Sunday morning, but literally all of life, all that we ever say and think or do, All of it becomes an act of praise. As I said at the beginning, to worship God is to love and adore God. And to love and adore all that God has made. And that means our neighbors. Even the neighbors that we might wish were not our neighbors. You don't have to name them. (laughs) And to love our neighbor is to worship God. I know it seems circular because it is. And what we do in this place on Sundays or whenever we gather for worship is rehearsal 
for loving and praising God well in all the other places that we live life. Which brings me to the gospel reading and hopefully to helping you understand why in the world, world would we read both texts. I thought that all week long um, after I said we were going to read both texts, uh, I wrestled with, boy, I should have not said we were going to read both texts. But here we are. We read both texts. Um, Jesus encounters a woman. He's teaching in the synagogue. They're, they're at worship. The community is gathered. A woman who for 18 years has had the burden of not being able to stand up straight, something maybe like arthritis or something else. And um, he calls her over and he says, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. Right there in worship. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and she began worshiping, praising God. The leader of the synagogue was angry because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath. And he said to the crowd, there are six days in which to work. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath. Jesus answered him, you're a hypocrite. You untie your ox, your donkey, you lead them to water on the Sabbath. Should not this woman also be set free from that which burdens her? Even on the Sabbath day. And there is a Zion moment. Remember back to Hebrews, Sinai and Mount Zion. There is a Zion moment, not a, a new law and order, not another set of rules to follow, not a new religion, but a glimpse of a new reality breaking in and disrupting our old reality, the old order. Here is a glimpse of what the world is like when Christ is glorified and fills all things. This story makes visible the truth that in Christ there is indeed a new covenant, a new way of being human, a new way of connecting with God, and that Christ is that new covenant, that new way of connecting with God. And when that new order interrupts our lives, even our well-ordered religion, amazing things like God's children being healed and set free happen. And that, friends, is the faithful worship of God. What we see in the healing of the woman in the synagogue and Jesus' response to those who were critical of it is that the true worship of God, which Hebrews points us to, actually encompasses all of life. Worship may be expressed in our liturgies and our rituals and our traditions, but it doesn't end there, nor must it ever be limited by our liturgies and our rituals and our traditions. Rather, the new covenant, the new life made possible in Christ means that the way we express love to God here on Sundays in our singing and our praying and our reading and our teaching and listening is only the beginning of worship. It is rehearsal for a life in which we glorify God with every breath. And Hebrews says, and Luke agrees, that anything that gets in the way of that which glorifies God the most, and the thing which glorifies God the most, is humanity fully alive. Anything that gets in the way of our neighbors being fully alive is not worship including our liturgies and our rituals 
and our traditions. True worship, grown out of an awareness that in Christ God has come near and all is being made new. True worship leads to the worshiping community glorifying God in all that we do and principally in ways that set God's children free Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and on and on every day, 365 days a year, 24-7, until everything we do is an act of praise. So our calling is to be like Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the bringer of a new covenant, a new way of life. Our calling is to be like Christ, for whom all of life, whether he was in the temple or the synagogue or at a sinner's table or down by the seashore or in a street corner, all of life for Jesus overflowed with thanks and praise to God. All of life for Jesus was worship. And because of that, nothing ever, ever for him got in the way of God's love. Amen.